0: Take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 3. We will be finishing up James chapter 3 this evening. All right, James chapter 3, we've already had it read, so we won't spend a whole lot of time rereading it. We're going to uh, keep the title from last week and just kind of make a continuation. Of, uh, of the message. Um, it's all kind of one big flowing <laughs> statement that or, or um, comparison that James is making here. So we're going to stick with Pursuing Godly Wisdom as the title. And just as a reminder, we'll have the same big idea. I added a couple words at the end to kind of go along with what we're discussing this evening. But the big idea from this section is that true wisdom from above is evidenced by spirit-filled actions and reactions which expose false wisdom's selfish nature and lead to peaceful righteousness. All right, let me say that one more time. It should be up there. True wisdom from above is evidenced by spirit-filled actions and reactions which expose false wisdom's selfish nature and lead to peaceful righteousness. Now last week we looked at Three points, and I'll reiterate them for you here this evening uh, in case you missed them last week. Uh, Point number one is that wisdom's validity is evidenced by action. So the validity of the wisdom that we have, whether it's true wisdom, which is from above, or false wisdom, wisdom, which is from other things, which we've looked at, uh, that is evidenced by the actions that we do or the reactions that we have. Uh, many times, both of those uh, kind of the same, the same thing. There, the way that we act, the way that we react. Specifically, I, I think react, especially when you look at the context of, context of James. Right? James is writing to people who are going through hardship. They're going through uh, persecution. They're going through hard times. They're going through losses of income, losses of jobs, losses of family members. All kinds of different things that this church. That spread out is going is going through, and James has called them to ask for wisdom, and yet he's seeing a lot of false wisdom, a lot of self promotion, a lot of uh, people looking to others who really don't have the wisdom that is from above, from God, that is true wisdom. That's what we're calling it, true wisdom. But rather, he sees a lot of false wisdom. So, true wisdom, true or false, is evidenced by those actions, either the good works. In meekness, that we see there at the beginning, or jealousy and selfish ambition, all right? So the second point is that false wisdom is driven by self-deception. False wisdom is driven by self-deception. And we looked at the fact that false wisdom is represented as, as kind of three um, origins. It is earthly, it is unspiritual, and it is demonic. Right, and these are the ways that we allow ourselves to be deceived. Uh, Earthly has the idea there of deceiving ourselves. We looked how there are many times in Scripture talks about how man has has made himself wise in his own eyes. You know, we we have set ourselves up. We we believe ourselves to be wise. Uh, in spite of you know, the lack of evidence in many cases. But yet we believe ourselves to be wise, that is earthly, then unspiritual. We believe ourselves to be wise even when we know that our actions are going against how the Holy Spirit would call us to live. It is unspiritual. It's actually anti-spiritual. It's anti the way that we know God desires for us to live. And then thirdly is demonic, where we believe, we fall into the trap of believing the lies of the devil. We believe that the the power and the success and the money and the fame and all those things are going to validate what we are doing as wise when in reality they simply validate it as false wisdom because it is from the devil. Point number three from last week is that false wisdom leads only to wickedness. As we see there, false wisdom leads only to wickedness. We see that it leads to disorder, and every vile practice. Disorder and every vile practice. And we looked at a lot of different passages last week and several of them actually compared um, walking in the spirit and walking in the flesh, right? And if you just think about several of those passages, you probably remember many of them listed out all the different things, the vile practices that we tend to, towards when we are pursuing earthly unspiritual and demonic wisdom when we are trying to pursue the wisdom of this world rather than pursue the wisdom that is from above. this evening though we're going to be looking at true wisdom. we're going to be looking at what wisdom what, what wisdom from above really looks like because we said that the the evidence of that is in our actions. Right? So if the evidence is in our actions and we see that false wisdom leads to actions that are vile, that are disorderly, that are against what God has desired for us, then there's got to be an alternative. right? And James lists out, it's interesting that James doesn't list out a lot of the practices. He just lists out, hey, it's going to be disorderly and there's going to be lots of vile practice, every vile practice. right? He said every, everything you can think of that's wrong, that's what it leads to. That's what false wisdom leads to. and But it's interesting, he then comes back and he talks about the wisdom from above, true wisdom, and he lists out specific actions or reactions that true wisdom looks like. And I can't help but, but wonder if maybe he did that because we are so prone to look at all these outward exterior things that we fail to even know at times what is the right thing we should be looking for. You know, we get so caught up in in following after people who have fame or money or power and looking to them for wisdom that I think in many ways we don't even realize what it is we're supposed to be looking for in others and what it is that we are supposed to be putting out to show that we are following after the wisdom from above. And so he gives us a list here of several things, that, and we're going to go through them uh, here in this, uh, this next section in James chapter 3. But point number four I want to bring up this evening is that true wisdom is driven by obedience. We saw that false wisdom is driven by self-deception, but true wisdom is driven by obedience. By obedience to what? What? God, right? By obedience to the truth. By obedience to the Holy Spirit. Right? We, he's Again, who is James writing to? He's writing to people who know Christ. They are followers of Christ. They are believers. And they know the truth, and yet they are following after the lies when it comes to seeking after wisdom. Or when it comes to calling themselves wise. They're following after the lies. And James brings them back and he points them to a list of things. And as I read through this list of things, um, there's another passage that just keeps coming back to my mind from the book of Galatians. Does anybody happen to know where I might be going? I'll give you hints. Chapter 5, starting verse 22. You're all just kind of looking at me. The fruit of the Spirit. Thank you. All right. So the fruit of the Spirit. This is, this, you can, there's some feedback. I know the masks are gone. It's a little weird. You can talk. All right. So fruit of the spirit. So when we look at this list that we have here in James and it goes down and it says, um, wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. You look at that list and it sounds like something you've probably heard before. Now it's not the exact same list. We're going to go through these separately. It's not the exact same list. In fact, I think the list from Galatians kind of fits in here, and we'll get to that here in a minute. But uh, but just these thoughts kind of come to my mind. It, those correlations are made between the, what James is saying and what Paul is saying in Galatians chapter five. And what is Paul's point in Galatians chapter five? His point is that we need to be walking in the spirit. Because if we're not walking in the spirit, What is it that we're going to do? We're going to fulfill all those other things, right? Those things that James didn't list out, if you read uh, Galatians chapter 5, which we did actually last week, you'll see that list that Paul writes out one after another of all these sins that we'll fall into if we're seeking after our own or earthly wisdom. But Galatians 5, through 26 says, but the fruit of the spirit in contrast to that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step. With the Spirit. That's, a, that's an interesting phrase. You know, I grew up on the, the KJV and it said, uh, walk in the Spirit, right? This is an interesting way of looking at that phrase. It says, keep in step with the Spirit. Now, I know we've got a lot of fathers out here, um, or maybe some of you, if you're not a father, you've got nieces and nephews and things like that, and you've probably at some point or, or another walked with them someplace. And very likely you walked with them when they were very young. I think about uh, my kids. We, we actually have a picture that came up on Facebook the other day of us taking a walk. I don't remember taking the walk, but, you know, we were taking one of the few times I, you know, went outside when it was cloudy so I didn't get sunburned, you know. So I, we went outside and we were taking a walk. And But I do remember taking walks and and just watching the kids, you know, try to keep up, right? Because I have normal-sized legs. Um, and they don't <laughs> because they're kids they're only this big and it's and it's kind of funny because you can you can be walking of course as a parent you, you try not to take giant steps right you know you're trying to walk at a leisurely pace why so that junior can keep up with you right and they, you know trying to move their legs as fast as as they can sometimes just to keep up they're trying to keep in step and sometimes they actually try to keep in step have you ever had a kid do that? where you're, you're walking, and whether it's next to you or maybe behind you, where they try to just follow right along where where you're going, it's not very hard when your legs are really short. <laughs> but that's the picture that I get when I read this verse. Keep in step with the Spirit. Just think about that phrase. Is that how we live our life? Do we live our life on a day-to-day basis, on an hour-by-hour basis, looking ahead to see where the Spirit is stepping? Is that that what we're thinking? Is that what we're focused on? Are we constantly trying to see where the Spirit is leading? And not just watching Him walk off in the distance, like Dad just walking away, but trying to follow in His steps, Are we seeking to be obedient? Or are we like the rest of that verse where it comes back and it says, but if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Think about those words. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Does that not sound like the things that James has been dealing with so far in the book of James? Provoking one another, envying one another, being conceited? Absolutely. So as we come to this list here in James chapter three, I look at these things and and I don't see any way in scripture that we as human, broken, fallen people Can ever produce any of these. Not on our own. It is only when we are faithfully obeying and walking in the Spirit that this is what comes out. And that's why I entitled this point, The True Wisdom is Driven by Obedience. Because it's only by obedience to the Holy Spirit as he reveals the word of God to us that we can walk in a way that is wise, in a way that is driven by wisdom from above. So let's look at these actions or reactions. The first one that we come to is pure. But wisdom from above is first pure. Now, this is actually um, specifically talking about chastity. That's the, that's the, the word that is used there. Is, it's not just a general uh, cleanliness. And it's not just, you know, be uns- earlier Earlier in James, we see the, the statement, be unstained from the world. That's what, true religion, right? Part of that is being unstained from the world. It's not It's not that general version. It is chastity. It's moral purity. Is that not a big one in our current day and age? I mean, we live in a society where even in the Christian church, morality, sexual morality is a very wide berth. We, um, we're very easily, uh, easy to ignore sexual sin or just block it out try not to deal with it why because it's it's something we don't want to deal with but the very first thing that James lists here is purity purity are we people who are exhibiting wisdom because we are pure are we pure in, the, in our actions and are we pure in our mind? That's the first thing James lists. Ephesians five three says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. I don't know everything that everyone is going through in this room, but sexual purity is one of the most important things that should be on our list as individuals, as men, as women, as husbands and wives, as parents, as young people, this is a big one. And if we're not doing everything we can to keep ourselves pure right there at the top. How can we say we have wisdom from above? Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 26. Oh, I already said that, sorry. Let's move on to peaceable. Peaceable. What does that mean? Well, the actual... Word there is referring to not being quarrelsome. That doesn't mean you're you're sitting there, you know, doing you know, alms or something like that. You're not just sitting there at peace. I am at rest, right? No, it's it's not being quarrelsome. It's somebody who's not prone to arguing about unnecessary things. Someone who's not prone to just drop of a hat. Here's an argument. That's a tough one, that's hard. You know, I was looking at through this list and just thinking from the perspective as a father, you know, I want my kids to be able to look up at me and see me as somebody that is wise before my hair turns white, all right? I I would like that to happen before falls out completely. You know, I would like for them to be able to look at me and see someone who is wise and right here, someone who's not quarrelsome. Man, but the people on Facebook are so stupid. <laughs> they are. I'm sorry, that's a bad word for some of you. They're dumb. <laughs> Alright. They 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 just come up with all these crazy things and they need to be told what's right by me. Right now, that's not wisdom from above. That's being wise in my own eyes, right? That's not wisdom from above. Peaceable, not quarrelsome. Uh, it's interesting. <laughs> two verse, two passages that that really emphasize this are in the pastoral letters. <laughs> Titus chapter 3, verses 9 through 11 says, But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and he is self-condemned. Woe. Did you hear what he said about quarrelsome people? Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Does that make you think twice about putting that post on Facebook, making that response? Maybe it's a coworker who, you know, they are just, you know, completely against what you believe is right politically and they are just vocal about it and you have I mean they're just wrong. They're just wrong and you've just got to set them right. For they are unprofitable and worthless. That's what it talks about, the quarrelings. Peaceable, not quarrelsome. 2 Timothy 2, 2 through. 23 through 26 says, Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. <laughs> Great warnings, right? This is not just for pastors, this is for everybody. Just think about all the things that you probably have argued about and ask yourself this question Does this matter in light of eternity? Does this topic matter in light of eternity? And I would bet most of the time the answer is no. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, not, this, not just those that agree, able to teach, patiently, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Why is this so important that we are not quarrelsome people, that we are peaceable people because God's not done working. God's not done working in other people's lives. And what kind of a response is that from us to potentially take away someone who could share the gospel with them? over an argument, over something that is foolish and ignorant. We need to be pure. We need to be peaceable. Next he says gentle. Gentle. This has the idea of being considerate or being tolerant of someone who is, who is uh, going against you. Again, think of, think of the context that James is writing to these people. They're being bombarded. People are taking advantage of them. And he's telling them that true wisdom responds to these infractions with gentleness, with consideration, with tolerance. 1 Peter 3, 13 through 16. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. A truly wise person will respond to persecution with gentleness and respect. Is that how we respond? When somebody calls us out For doing something that we know is right? Do we respond with gentleness and respect or do we respond quickly and angrily in a way to put them in their place? That's not what James is calling us to. He says that's not what true wisdom looks like. Not only is it gentle, but it is open to reason. Another way of translating this is actually ready to obey or submissive. Ready to obey or submissive. That's the idea of this reason, this open to reason. It's not just, my mind is free. Let's just, uh, I'll accept anything. That's not, what that's not what he's talking about. It's talking about open to understanding the truth so that you can submit to it. It's, you're not being obstinate when truth is revealed to you. You're willing to submit, you're willing to obey. Of course, the classic one that pastors like to bring up is 1 Peter 5, 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Hebrews is a better one for pastors. But I like this one because it doesn't just focus on older or younger or spiritual elder and non-spiritual elder, but it says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Are you open to another brother or sister in Christ in this room pulling you aside and saying, hey, there's something that I've noticed in your life, and this is what Scripture says. I think you need to do it. Are you open to that? Yeah, sure, yeah. But what about when it happens? Are we really open to it? Are we really ready to obey? Are we looking for ways to obey? Or are we looking for ways to get out of it? Well, that doesn't apply because blah, 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 blah here's my master's degree. No. Are you ready to obey? Are you ready to be humble and submit to others? To let someone else speak into your life the truth? Are you open to reason? If you're not, God says, your wisdom's not from me. It's not from me. It's earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. Yet how often, first of all, do we not go to one another? And then secondly, how often are we unwilling to repent? Unwilling to change. Unwilling to see that there's something that needs to change and do it. Not make excuses, just do it. Are we open to reason? The next one says, full of mercy. Mercy here meaning pity or compassion or the general term of mercy. You know, Jesus said something interesting about mercy, right? Matthew chapter five. He said, blessed are the merciful for they will obtain what? Mercy. Mercy. It's interesting how that's a very reciprocal reality, is it not? If I'm merciful to them, how often they will be merciful back to me. 1 Peter 3, 8-9 says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Man, that's a, that's a strong list right there, isn't it? Unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. Peter's writing to the church about the way they interact with each other in the church. do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Are we people of mercy? Are we people who desire the good of others? Here in this church, when others fail, do we come and lift them up? Yes, sometimes that means admonition. But are we there to walk with them? Are we there to shun them? Do we have pity upon one another when we fail and when we fall? Or do we look down on one another when we fail and fall? I know of many people who have left a church after... sin, simply because they thought the church wasn't going to treat them the same way anymore. How sad is that? What type of a testimony is that to us about the wisdom that we think we have if someone feels like they will not receive mercy? Has not Christ given us mercy? Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. Not just, not just forgive, not just let it go. Bless. Do something good in return. Full of mercy. And it says, and good fruits, uh, so I would look at that and say, full of mercy and full of good fruits. And of course, this is really vague. Right, just general good fruits. This is this is supposed to be part of your life, and that's basically, in my opinion, that's what he's talking about in Galatians chapter five. These are the fruit of the spirit. This is where I, I would put those in there. Uh, these are just the general good fruits that we know: love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and faithfulness and goodness and Did I miss one? I don't know. You can look it up later. Galatians five twenty two for everybody who forgot what it was. All right, Galatians 5.22. So the fruit of the Spirit, right? That's the good fruits that he's talking about. All these other good things, the things that we know should be coming out from our lives, these good fruits of the Spirit, that's an evidence of someone who is pursuing godly wisdom. Are those fruits coming out of our lives? Can others see those fruits coming out of our lives? You know, it's, it's one thing for us to say, man, I'm really working on this. And I really feel like I've made a lot of progress in this until our wife comes up to us and says, man, I really wish you would work on this. And you're like, I have been. That's not good. <laughs> you know, that, that can be frustrating. But we have to remember, this is not the fruit of Dave. Right? This isn't the fruit of Andy. It's not the fruit of... Uh, of Lisa, it's not the fruit of any of you. Who's it the fruit of? The Spirit. How does the fruit of the Spirit grow? Obedience. Just being obedience. Taking that step right after the Spirit. Everywhere he meets. The fruit of the Spirit full of good fruits. The next one is impartial. Impartial, the idea is not making distinctions. James has already hit on this one, hasn't he? I know because I preach it. (laughs) He's already talked about this. Back in chapter two, he talked about how they were making distinctions within the church between the rich and the poor, between those who could do something for them and those who needed something from them. And the way that they interacted with them was different they they treated those with that had with with favor and and with nice words, right? And they treated those that had not with disdain, with harsh words. And James comes back to it here and he says, Hey, you wanna you wanna show that you have wisdom from above? Wisdom from above is not impartial. Or is is impartial. It's not partial. It's not like we talked about earlier. If you say that you have wisdom from above and you're acting like that, you're being false. You have false wisdom. Lastly, he says that wisdom from above is characterized by sincerity. What does this mean? Basically has the idea of not being a hypocrite. Not being a hypocrite. Saying one thing and doing something else. You come into church on Saturday night and you sing the songs and you listen to the message and you go at night time and you even participate at A&I time and then you live the rest of the week as if everything we just did means nothing. Is that how we live? Because if it is, we're hypocrites. We're insincere. And James says that the mark of wisdom from above is that it will be sincere. The actions that we perform will be sincere. The words that we say will be sincere. As I was thinking about this uh, this word, my mind kept coming back to Acts chapter five, verses one through 11. Probably most of you know this story. Acts chapter five, verses one through 11. It's about a couple of people who learned a very quick and hard lesson about sincerity. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. What's the context here? They've seen the church living like the church. They've seen those that had goods in this world, land and property and buildings, sell them and take and bring the the proceeds to the church. And they'd seen God bless through that and probably seen people praise that. And so we, that's the context here. And his wife Sapphire, they sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back For yourself, part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your own disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose up, wrapped him up, and carried him out, and buried him. That sounds like a very harsh thing. But when you look at the context, you understand what's going on here. They kept back part of it. Was that wrong? No. But when they presented it, they presented it just like everybody else had. As if they were giving all. And Peter says, right away. I mean, he had had no way of knowing. This was the Holy Spirit. Why are you lying? Why are you lying? You're not lying to men. You're lying to God. His wife comes in three hours later, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. This is how we know this is is what was going on. Tell me whether you sold the land for so, so much. And she says, yes, for so much. But Peter said to, it, to, to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the church and upon all who heard these things. Thankfully, God doesn't deal with us when we're insincere like that. We would not have a very large church. How often do we engage in ministry or even say a kind word or offer that we'll pray for someone and it's just spiritual vapor coming out of our mouths because it's not from a sincere heart. Sincerity is one of the ways that we know the wisdom that we have is from above. Are we living in such a way that others see evidence of true wisdom in our lives, or are they seeing evidence of false wisdom? Point number five, true wisdom leads to peaceful righteousness. True wisdom leads to peaceful righteousness. Verse 16, or verse 18 says, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I love this term, harvest of righteousness, because we get to the to the end of this discussion about wisdom, and we've seen that the end result of false wisdom is that it's going to be, um, there, there's gonna be every vile practice, there's gonna be disorder, everything's bad, right? And then you get to the end of wisdom and you kind of expect the end result of wisdom to be like rainbows, right? <laughs> and what is the end result of it? Righteousness. Righteousness. I'm not gonna delve into this too much because I, I think I put this as one of your questions for this evening, but righteousness. This is the end result. Yet, this is the thing that God desires of us. As we go through trials, what has He called us to? He's called us to steadfastness. Steadfastness, to keeping the course. What is the course? To being what He has called us to be, to living righteously in spite of the trials and the troubles and the tribulations. He's called us to righteousness. And if we are seeking godly wisdom, if as in James 1, he, as if we are asking God for wisdom and He is granting it to us through the word, through the Holy Spirit, and as we are obeying and walking in it, and as we are producing these actions that verify that we are truly following after wisdom from above, then we will begin to see righteousness develop in ourselves. Not because of us, but because of the work of the Holy Spirit who's in us. As we begin to show purity, peaceableness, gentleness, submission, mercy, good fruits, lack of partiality, sincerity, as we begin to walk in that manner, we begin to be changed to become more like Christ. True wisdom leads to peaceful righteousness. We see righteousness in ourselves, but I feel like we also begin to see righteousness in others. Because at the very beginning of this, we talk about the fact that it, it, he says, Who is wise among you? Right? Look around, who is wise among you? People are looking. People are following us. People are watching us. People are, are following our example. And so if we begin to walk in a way that is righteous, that has an impact on the people who are watching us. If we are becoming righteous, then that has an impact towards righteousness in the lives of our children, of our spouses, of other people in this church. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12 says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example. In speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Why? Because people are watching. They weren't just watching Timothy, they're watching everyone. No matter where you think you rank in the church, by the way, there isn't any rank in the church, but no matter where you place yourself in the church, somebody here is watching you to see what it looks like to be like Christ. Are you showing them wisdom from above? are you showing them wisdom from our souls? It's interesting that this wisdom, this righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. See, if you go back and you look at all these different things that James is mentioning, look, look at them. They are really, every, everything in them is against any form of, of bad reaction, any form of quarreling, argument, everything that he lists goes against that type of relationship. All of these responses, all these actions are actions of peace. Are you a person who pursues peace? Not just, boy, I wish we had some peace. But are you a person who pursues peace by the things that you do and the things that you say? He gives us a list of them. If we are, there's a harvest of righteousness that will come. But if we're not, what is it? Disorder in every vile practice. Is that what we want for ourselves? Is that what we want for our family? Is that what we want for our church? We want God's wisdom, not ours. but are we really pursuing it? Are we pursuing it in peaceful manners? Are we pursuing it the way that James tells us? Are we pursuing it some other way that we think is going to work better? If we are, in the end, It'll just be wickedness. What are you pursuing? Earthly wisdom or heavenly wisdom? Father, we thank you that you have promised that if we ask for wisdom that you will give it to us liberally. And Lord, we know that we have wisdom in your word that is sitting there available for us night and day. Whether it's in the form of a paper book or whether it's in the form of an app on our phone or a computer. God, we are so blessed to have your wisdom available to us every single day and yet I know even for myself how often I don't turn to it. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be people who ask for wisdom, help us to be people who search for wisdom, help us to be people who obey when your wisdom is revealed. Not so that we can pat ourselves on the backboard, but so that we can be people who are truly wise. So that the wisdom that is coming from above, from you would shine out in the ways that James has told us about even here this evening. That we would not be people who are disorderly and who are overtaken by vile practices, but Father, that we would be people who shine forth Christ-likeness simply by obeying the Holy Spirit as he reveals your word to us. Father, I pray that you will be glorified in our hearts, in our actions, in our homes, and in our church. Because you're the only one that deserves it. Help us never forget that. Help us to always live for it. May you be glorified even this evening as we continue to discuss your word, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray too many.